Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 101. Psalm 101, we've been here a handful of weeks at this point, and this morning we will finish this wonderful text of Scripture. I'm going to read it again one last time to set the text before our eyes, before our hearts and our minds, and then we will look at the remaining three verses together. Psalm 101 is a psalm of David. He says, I will sing of loving kindness and justice. To you, O Yahweh, I will sing praises. I will give heed to the blameless way. When will you come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. He who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land, so as to cut off from the city of Yahweh all those who do iniquity. History tells us that Franklin Roosevelt's closest advisor during much of his presidency was a man named Harry Hopkins. During World War II, when his influence with Roosevelt was at its peak, Hopkins held no official cabinet position. Moreover, Hopkins' closeness to Roosevelt caused many to regard him as a shadowy, sinister figure. As a result, he was a major political liability to the president. A political foe once asked Roosevelt, why do you keep Hopkins so close to you? You surely realize that people distrust him and that they resent his influence. Roosevelt replied, he said, someday you may well be sitting here where I am now as President of the United States. And when you are, you'll be looking at the door over there knowing that practically everybody who walks through it wants something out of you. You'll learn what a lonely job this is and you'll discover the need for somebody like Harry Hopkins who asks for nothing except to serve you. Winston Churchill rated Hopkins as one of the half dozen most powerful men in the world in the early 1940s. And the sole source of Hopkins' power was his willingness to serve President Roosevelt. Influence matters. Who you hang out with and spend the most of your time with matters. Who you listen to and take advice from matters. And as we see in our text this morning, good influence is critical. Hopkins was the key to Roosevelt's success and stability. In a similar way, we must surround ourselves with people who influence us in a godly way. 
This leads us back into our text, Psalm 101 this morning, where we have been considering what a life looks like that is thinking biblically, a a person who is committed to biblical thinking. This is a picture of that kind of life, that kind of person. Thus far, we have considered several clarifying convictions of one who is thinking biblically, which we have derived from David's personal convictions he is making as, as he is preparing to become king over all of Israel. Those who think biblically, first and foremost, have a commitment to biblical meditation. We saw this in verse 1. David is singing out in worship to Yahweh because he has fixed his mind on the reality of Yahweh's loving kindness and his justice. He is devoted to biblical meditation. Secondly, we saw in verse 2 that those who think biblically have a, have a commitment to a faithful Godly life. They're committed to faithful, godly living. He was committed to living a wise life of of discipline and obedience that was governed by pure motives and and that was empowered by by God's presence. Third, we saw in verses 3 through 5 that those who think biblically have a commitment to not tolerate evil. A commitment to not tolerate evil. This is where we were last time. Thinking biblically is mutually exclusive from tolerating both personal evil and evil companions. Last time we ended with being challenged to evaluate if we are tolerating evil in our lives. Either that some form of personal evil or Relational evil. This morning we come to a fourth conviction of one who is thinking biblically, which is this. It is a commitment to be influenced by godly people. It's a commitment to be influenced by godly people. This commitment is the other side of the coin of the commitment that we studied last time. Look again at verses 6 and 7. David says, my eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. He who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. One who is thinking biblically is one who surrounds him or herself with godly people. In this verse, this is carried out in two ways. This commitment is is seen in in two ways. First, in verse 6, we see that biblical thinkers embrace honest people. They embrace honest people. You may notice as you look at verse 6, as often is the case in the Psalms, It is constructed by two parallel statements referring to the type of people that David is going to have in his presence. Those that are going to influence him and and advise him. Those are going to help direct his decisions as the king. Speaks of those who he is going to confide in, those who he's going to take counsel from. These are those who he is going to bear his heart to and 
just bounce his ideas off of. Verse 6 is referring to David's closest companions as king. No doubt, that was a prestigious position. And there were going to be many who, who desired this position because they knew that they would be able to gain access to the king to influence his decision making. David did not make his decisions in a, in a box, in a vacuum. He, he had many advisors, as, as all rulers do. Most rulers have a, a vast array of advisors and counselors where they run their decisions by them. They, they get advice from them and counsel and help. And so you could say that when a king or another ruler makes a decision, there's a lot of minds and a lot of influence behind that decision. He wasn't just spouting off things by himself. He was influenced by people. And so there were a lot of people who wanted to be those kinds of influencers. They, they wanted to be the ones that could get into the king's ear, that could get into the king's head so that they could direct the nation of Israel the way they wanted it to go. So that the decisions that David would make would be, influence, would be decisions that, that influenced their lives in the way that they wanted to be influenced. And so David would have to figure out who those people were going to be. Who were going to be those people who he surrounded himself with? Well, those parallel statements in verse 6 provide the criteria for, for his decision-making process. The criterion is simply stated as faithfulness and blamelessness in regard to the character of those who would gain a place of influence for the king. Notice verse 6, he says, My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land. Notice the wording. Last time, if you remember, and you can see it there in verse 3, we saw that he committed to what he was not going to set his eyes upon. So it's not only verse 6 parallel statements to one another, but, but he's playing off of what he's already stated. He's playing off of what he has already put down. Here he explains who he is going to set his eyes upon or, or who he is going to tolerate in his presence. He's already said, I'm not going to tolerate evil. He said, actually, I, I will never tolerate evil. I will never put any worthless thing before my eyes. It will never fasten its grip on me. That's the influence of those who fall away. He's already said that, but here he explains the opposite. Who he is going to set his eyes upon. Who is going to, to be in his presence. That is there in verse 6, the faithful of the land. The word faithful refers to those, generally speaking, who are reliable, those who are dependable. Furthermore, it refers specifically here to those who have proven themselves as faithful to God. Their devotion to following God has resulted in them being honest people. And David, having committed to living a blameless life, knew that if he was going to do that, if that was going to be who he was, a blameless person, that then he needed to surround himself with people who were committed to the same thing. 
they needed to be those who walked in the blameless way as he did. They needed to be people of integrity, people who were trustworthy and genuine. These were the ones who, he says, were going to to dwell with him and they were going to minister to him. These were the ones who were going to hold influence in his life. Those who were faithful, those who were blameless, honest people are critical components to godly influence. And this honesty manifests itself in in several ways, which is helpful for us to understand as we think through the influences in our lives. These people are those, first of all, who, who tell you the truth. That's a simple, simple understanding of honesty. People who are going to tell you the truth. This is getting more and more difficult to find in our culture. This is getting more and more difficult to find in the church. There's this mindset that has begun to just be overwhelming, I think, to people, and that is this, this fear of man, right? It's what, it's what Proverbs says we are to guard against. It's that fear of man leads people Tell others what they want to hear. Honesty involves, regardless of whether or not you are going to like what people have to say, you are going to tell the truth that they need to hear. This is what David needed. He didn't need people in there to boost his ego. He didn't need people in there to tell him good things, to make him think happy thoughts and, you know, have a marshmallow mentality of life. He didn't need that. David needed people in his life who cared about him, who cared about Israel, who cared about the position of power that he had, could see his life, knew him, that could speak truth to him in those key moments, in those key decisions. And to not live with the fear of what he was going to say or what anybody else was going to say. That they were going to be devoted to tell him the truth because that was their responsibility. An honest person is someone who tells you the truth regardless of whether or not you want to hear what they have to say, but yet you need to hear it. And they're also going to tell you the truth in love. As believers, we're commanded to speak the truth in love to one another. Our attitude towards one another is not to be one that is characterized by frustration and bitterness and and those kinds of things when we talk to one another. But it is to be characterized by, by love. Honest people who care for the individual that they are influencing are those who speak the truth in love to them. You have to have people in your life that are willing to do this. You have to open up yourself 
to have this kind of influence. And I say have to because it is a decision you have to make. This is not something that, that you just enjoy doing at times. We're not talking again about those people who just come and they're going to tell you everything you want to hear about yourself and you're going to walk out feeling like you're a million bucks. We're talking about those people who are going to come in and look at your life, encourage you where you need to be encouraged and exhort you where you need to be exhorted. You have to have people like this in your life. And these kinds of people you have to, you have to invite in. All right, some people are just going to do this. <laughs> and they're going to tell you things. That's, you know, you've met those kind of people. And, and you've been those kind of people as I have been those kind of people. <laughs> well, we just, we're going to say something. Whether or not that relationship is what it should be. And those kinds of things. You, you've got to be willing to be a person. If you were going to think biblically, right? Because that's, that's the foundation of what we're talking about in this, in this psalm. If you're going to think biblically, you have to, have to, have people like this in your life. And when they tell you those things, they might hurt, they might pierce, and, and, they, and it might be hard for you to comprehend for a minute. It might be hard for you to take in. But at the end of the day, you're going to go to bed and you're going to say, Lord, that wasn't super pleasant, but thank you. Thank you for revealing blind spots. Thank you for revealing ways I wasn't thinking biblically. Right? If you're committed to thinking biblically, you're going to have these people in your life. David knew this. Not that he would always like the truth. Not that when the person came in and explained that to them, he said, well, Let's go get ice cream cones. I don't know where they did that in Israel. I've been to Israel. There's not a lot of ice cream rolling around out there. But more like, let me chew on this. Let me chew on this. Let me think about this. So he didn't always like the truth, but he knew he absolutely needed it. These honest people that a critical or that a biblical thinker rather is going to embrace are also those who have your best interests at heart. As they evaluate the things they are going to say to you, they consider your well-being. They genuinely do care about you. And so you know that, and you've, you've developed that kind of relationship with this type of person. And so that when they speak that truth to you, you know at the end of the day, like, that, again, that was not super fun. But you're able to say, boy, that was very beneficial. And even at times, man, that really kept me from making a stupid decision. They are concerned that you live according to the truth. This is the type of person that David was committing to surrounding himself with. These are those who have your back. They're not talking behind your back to put themselves in a better light about you. They build you up to others. They defend you when others malign you. Listen, one who is thinking biblically is one who will do whatever it takes to seek these kind of people out and bring them into their inner circle. If you are one who is devoted to the scriptures, you are devoted to living a godly life, you are devoting to keeping evil outside of the realm of your purview, 
then you are going to also be a person who is doing whatever, the, whatever it takes in their life to surround themselves with these kinds of people, with honest people. And you're going to do whatever it takes to get them into your life so that their influence begins to affect you. David was committed to this. We see several examples of these types of godly people in the Old Testament. In Genesis 37 through 41, we learn of Joseph's rise to influence in the country of Egypt. And when we evaluate his rise, the primary characteristic that stands out is what? It's in his integrity. It's his integrity. Consider for a moment his relationship with Pharaoh. I mean, he, he rose fast in the ranks. Prison, Pharaoh's buddy. Big, quick rise. And it started with him just being who he was, who God had called him to be. He was a, he was a guy who interpreted dreams. So Pharaoh has these dreams, the, uh, the baker, the baker, the other guy who lived, one of the guys lived, the cupbearer, one of the two guys lived. My mind never remembers which guy lived. But they were hanging out with the king. And the king had this dream and said, man, I got to get this thing. I got to understand. I don't know what's going on. So he remembered Joseph. You remember that. That's where Joseph was brought out of prison to interpret his dream. And what did he do with Pharaoh? He didn't tell him, hey, everything's going to be great. I told him the truth. told him exactly what he needed to hear. Listen, you're going to have seven years of famine. You've got you to you plan for that. Things are about to get wild. You're going to have seven great years. You're going to have seven terrible years. You've got to plan for that, or the nation of Egypt is going to be no more. He had his best interests at heart, right? He's the one who gave him the grain idea. Let me be in charge of the grain. I will get this done for you. I will make sure that those seven years of famine, nobody goes hungry. People will be coming to us from all over the known world, and they will be getting grain from us. He had his back. He never tried to steal Pharaoh's authority. David knew his position. He knew who God had called him to be. I mean, he realized it as he was coming up through the ranks, probably wondering a few times, like when he was in the pit, when he was in prison, what's happening. But he finally realized, because he speaks about this at the, you know, the end of the book of Genesis, that listen, God had this all planned out. What y'all meant for evil. <laughs> God meant that evil for good in my life. And so he, he came to that place where he understood that. But the point I want you to see is that though Pharaoh wasn't a believer, we still see the impact of godly influence on his life and reign. Pharaoh made a lot of really good decisions. And it wasn't because Pharaoh was making those decisions on his own, according to his own flesh, his own mind. It was because he had Joseph in his life telling him, this is the direction you need to go. You remember Mordecai, Esther's uncle. He had the king's back as he stopped his assassination, as he overheard guys planning to, to, to kill the king. And he stopped that assassination. And then as the king was reading the books one night when he couldn't sleep, he realized that, man, this guy saved my life. He rose to power. 
He influenced Esther, who became the queen, encouraging her to become queen, encouraging her, encouraging her to keep her, identify, her identity concealed until the right time. A man who was wise, a man who was godly, a man who was, who was influencing people. And we see the result is the nation of Israel was saved because of that kind of influence. Consider Daniel. He influenced kings in Babylon as well as Persia because he was a man of integrity. He was a man who told the truth. He was a man who stood his ground in terms of his convictions. Friends, you are at a critical stage in your life. As I tell people often, as I as I've told you often, you're at that fork in the road. You've come out from under your parents, still there in part, trying to figure out what life is all about. You've been raised, many of you in the church, you've been raised with an understanding of the gospel. Many of you have, have embraced the gospel of Christ, but here you are at the fork in the road, and you are either going to choose to continue to follow Christ Or you're going to choose to go do your own thing, to spread your wings, to sow your wild oats, as the world would say. You need people in your life more than ever right now, helping you understand what it means to be godly, giving you wisdom, giving you truth, helping you make decisions. You desperately need to heed this commitment that we see in the life of David. Not because you're going to be king. right? If you're going to be king, come talk to me. That is cool. But I don't think you're going to be the king. But because you desire to be wise and you desire to please God with your decisions. Listen, if you're genuinely in Christ, that is your life. Now, sometimes it gets muffled. Sometimes it gets suppressed by, by things you're involved in, by getting too busy, by, by sinful things. But ultimately, at the end of the day, if you are a genuine believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the desire of your life is to please God. If the desire of your life is not to please God, you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see how that works. So at the end of the day, that is who you are. You want to please God. You want your decisions to please God. You want your decisions to be worthwhile for the kingdom of God. And also because godly friends help to protect you from worldly philosophy and from the rogue feelings that you sometimes listen to, which you shouldn't. We are always chewing on stuff in our minds. We are analyzing things. We are feeling things. God has made us as people who feel things. It's part of our our creation. It's part of who we are. But those feelings have been corrupted right? because we are totally depraved. We have been thrust into this depravity because of our sin. And so our feelings that we have that are completely and totally a part of us are corrupted. And there's times you're mulling over decisions. And the primary tool or instrument you're using to make that decision is how you feel, right? I'm going to do this. Why? I feel like doing this. 
I feel like doing this. I, I feel like doing this. We say that all the time. I'll have conversations with you afterwards. I'm going to say something about it. I feel about, it's just how we talk. And sometimes those feelings, if they've been informed by the truth of the word of God, if you are meditating on the truth and you are thinking as, as someone who is a biblical thinker, and sometimes those, those feelings are great and they're right. You're still not making your decisions based on those feelings, but they are in, um, they're in cahoots with, with your process of making decisions, which is a biblical process. But, as is much of the time, your feelings are fleshly. Your feelings are still grounded in that corruption. And so what you feel like doing, you need to have someone in your life who says, Nope. <laughs> nope, that's a bad feeling. That is not the direction you need to go. You don't need to listen to that feeling. Because the Bible says this, and these are in complete contradiction to one another. You need to listen to the truth. I know you feel like that. We all feel like that at times. But you can't make your decision based on that feeling. You have to make your decision based on the truth of the word of God. You have to have people like that in your life. I have to have people like that in my life who are willing to get into your kitchen and make you think biblically, exhort you to think biblically. These friends provide you with encouragement and accountability. These friends exhort you and they even chastise you when you need it. That's who David wanted. That's who David said. He says that they're going to dwell with me and they're going to minister to me. This is my inner circle. These are the people I'm going to be influenced by. These kinds of people. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You have got to have those faithful friends in your life who are willing to wound you for your benefit and for the glory of Christ. And this commitment should, should not just, I, I say friends, and so in your mind you're thinking peers, and that's good, and that's who I am talking about, but it should also then extend to those older than you, to those with more wisdom than you, to those who have a pattern of life that demonstrates faithfulness and blamelessness. And I know many of you seek this out with your, with your leaders and, and with others in the church and I encourage you to continue to do that. A plurality of wise counselors contribute to a wise life. But for those of you who are living life according to your own, and I say this in a gracious way, but your own ignorant wisdom I encourage you to seek godly older people to walk alongside you and to keep you accountable. Because they are going to be those faithful friends who help guide your life, who influence you, who direct you, who wound you when you have to be wounded. When I graduated high school, I was ready to get married. Let me rephrase. I felt like I was ready to get married. 
was dating a woman at the time who now happens to be my wife, which I'm very thankful for. I went off to school, Liberty University. Um, went there and had intentions of going there for various reasons, but we ended up going there for one semester. And I uh, realized through that semester there was a couple things. One, I needed to come back because I really was ready to get married and my wife was about to graduate high school and so it was about to be something that could actually happen for whatever her parents' reason for saying yes was. It's unbelievable to me to this day. But I also came back for another reason that I didn't even know at the time. And things had happened in my family at home that were devastating, that were treacherous. My world was flipped on its head. Rug was pulled out from underneath me. Everything I had ever known, all the stability of life that I had ever had was obliterated. And I had had thoughts about going into the ministry when I was in high school. And when all that happened, I thought, man, I don't want any of this. I don't want any of this. I don't want to be treated like this. I don't want any of this. I, I don't want the church. I don't want anything to do with this. And God put a faithful godly man in my life who spoke the truth I didn't want to hear who just dedicated himself for the next few months to pouring into my life and I told him I said I said Ronnie I am I'm done I don't want anything to do with this. I'm so fed up with all of this. He said, no, you're not. He said, you're not going anywhere. He said, think about what you've just gone through, what you're going through right now, and the ability that you're going to have now because God has given you this situation and trial in your life, which is no doubt terrible. You are going to now have the ability to go minister to people because of this. And God used that. I mean, we believe in an objective call to ministry, and I learned about that later. But God used that, that very conversation, for me to do an about face, headed in a really bad direction, to do an about face and say, okay, what do you want to do, Lord? And He changed my life. But that's because of the influence of the right kind of people. I had other people in my life at that time who were terrible influences. And God in his kindness and grace removed them. But this one stuck. Your closest companions in this life need to be faithful, blameless people. We need to surround ourselves with the godly version of Harry Hopkins. And one who has his or her mind saturated in the scriptures and is thinking biblically, understands this and takes heed to this. 
But notice in this commitment that David goes back again to the negative side of it. You see that in verse 7. As he says, he who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. He is committing to embracing honest people in verse 6. But he also commits to shun liars. He commits to shun liars. And just like the construction in verse 7, verse, uh, verse 6, verse 7 is formed by two parallel statements. David will embrace the faithful and the blameless, but he will shun the deceitful liars. And as I mentioned last time, the emphasis with which David makes these definitive commitments is striking. He says, literally, he who practices deceit shall never dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood shall never maintain his position before me. He will not tolerate liars. He will not let them influence him. This is the strongest way that he can say this. This is the strongest way to make this kind of statement in the Hebrew language. Why? Why is, it, why is he saying this in such a strong way? Because he knows. He knows the devastation that liars can bring upon a life. And in his case, the devastation that liars can bring upon a nation. Listen, let me just be very blunt. If the people you usually hang out with and have influence on you are liars, you need to remove them from that place of influence. If the people you hang out with are liars. They do not tell the truth. They are manipulative. They must not be in that place of influence in your life. One who is thinking biblically has no place in their lives for deceit or for falsehood. They're not tolerating it personally. We saw that last time. And they're not tolerating it in the people in which, who which influence their lives. David would not allow them to become established or to gain influence over him. Neither can we let this happen. You must be discerning regarding the people in your life, those who you listen to. And not only must you be discerning, but if you are that type of person, hear me. If you are a deceitful liar, you are headed to destruction. And you need to not be that kind of person. Make sure that you can say that these people who influence your life are seeking to be faithful and blameless. Again, not in perfection. Don't get this idea that these people who you have to surround your, with, surround your life with are perfect people. They're not. They're people who do sin. They're people who do struggle in life, but they're people who understand how to deal with their sin. They're people who've had continual victory over their sin. They're people who are real. They're not self-righteous. They're not coming 
across as fakes. They are genuine lovers of the Lord Jesus Christ who want their lives to reflect him. And they are going to do whatever they can to help your life reflect him. It's who you want. So not in perfection, but in direction. Well, this then leads us to a final clarifying conviction of a biblical thinker that we find in this psalm. And it's this, we find it in verse 8. It is a commitment to God's honor. A commitment to God's honor. Verse 8 says, Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land so as to cut off from the city of Yahweh all those who do iniquity. Again, another strong statement, another strong commitment is clearly seen by David. He says, every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land. He says this because judgments by kings in the oriental world were were made in the morning. That's when they would make their judgments upon the people of the land. And David is committing to doing his best to keep God's honor at the top of his priority list. In order to do this, he is committing himself to biblical justice. We see that there as he says he will destroy the wicked and he will cut them off from the city of Yahweh. His thinking was just. We already saw that in verse 1. And so, he cared about justice on every front. The word destroy here is the idea of silencing them to to remove them from the land where their wicked influence couldn't have effect. Literally kicking them out of any influence they could have, a position of any influence they could have upon the people. He cared about his own soul. And he cared about the souls of the faithful of the land. and That they would maintain God's honor to the point where he as king would remove the wicked. Friends, we need to be committed to maintaining God's honor by even going back to what we said last week, by constantly removing wicked influences from our lives, whether they are people or things. You know, we do that. We talked in depth about that last time. We do that for our own souls, our own benefit, to keep us on the right path. But ultimately, it's not about that even. It's about the honor of God. Our lives are about the honor of God. We are about exalting Him, worshiping Him in His rightful place as the God of this universe. And we know that evil is in direct contradiction to who God is. And so our desire, our commitment is to maintain the honor of God by removing the wickedness. One who thinks biblically will be committed to honoring God with their lives. It really comes down to that simple statement. They go hand in hand. The desire of your heart as a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is to honor God. Well, you're going to live a life to honor God. If you're going to live a life to honor God, you're going to have to think biblically. This brings us to the end of this psalm, which 
Again, I think I told you at the outset, this was going to be one message these last four weeks. That had been one long Sunday. And as I come to the end of it, you know, it's, this, is, this, is, this has been really good for my soul. To just get this portrait of a fallen human being who lived with these kinds of commitments and to see, okay, that's what it looks like to think in a biblical way. You know, David is a great example of a person who is committed to biblical thinking. He, he was committed to biblical meditation. He was committed to faithful godly living. He was committed to not tolerate evil. He was committed to be influenced by godly people. And he, he was committed to God's honor. But he wasn't perfect. And we will never do this perfectly either. The hope is this. That there is one who did. There is one who did perfectly live out these commitments in his human life. In his walk upon this earth. In every way, shape, or form, there is one who meditated biblically perfectly. There is one who lived faithfully, perfectly. There is one who did not tolerate any evil, perfectly. He was influenced by the right people, perfectly. He was committed to the honor of his father, perfectly. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. He was perfectly biblical in his thinking. And friends, the reality, for those of you who are in Christ is this, that his perfect righteousness, his perfect life of righteousness has been credited to your account, has been imputed to your account. And so the father sees you as, he sees his son, he sees you righteously. But not only has it been imputed to your account, not only has Jesus exchanged his righteous life for our sin, He's also given us his spirit. He's given us his example. He's given us everything he is in his word. And he has empowered us to live with a biblical mindset, to live lives that are focused on thinking rightly. For those of you who are not in Christ, Your life is tattered and torn by sin. Perhaps you're living in a world right now where you're making bad decision after bad decision. You're living for yourself. You're loving your sin. You're committed to your flesh. You're committed to honoring yourself, not God. The beauty of the truth of who Christ is is that if you come to him on his terms, you even as the wicked, wretched, depraved sinner that you are, can have his perfect life of righteousness credited to your account. That you too, if you come to him on his terms, 
can stand before a holy God and have a holy God look at you and see the perfect work of Christ. What are those terms? Well, they begin with you acknowledging who you are before a holy God. That you are a wicked, depraved, wretched sinner. That you have no hope without God. It involves you crying out to God in repentance and faith, a desire in your heart to turn away from everything that is evil, everything you've been trusting in, and to turn to Christ and embrace Him by faith, His perfect life, who He was, who He is as Lord, and that He is your Savior, that that He went to the cross and He was able not to just grant you a perfect life, but He was able to pay your penalty for sin on the cross as He hung there and bore in His body the sins that you and I have committed. It involves coming to Him on those terms, turning in repentance to Christ, embracing Him by faith. He is now the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords who's coming back for His people. You do that, you too will have his life credited to your account. You too will have your sins forgiven. You too will be granted the Holy Spirit, and you too will be able to live in a way where you think biblically and bring glory to God in that way. Because of his perfection, he will help us and empower us in the fight to think biblically. Friends, thinking. Biblically matters. It is critical. You need to be resolved now to be committed to it today. I want to close our study with these words from Jerry Bridges. He says, The Bible indicates that our thought lives ultimately determine our character. It's found in Proverbs 23.7. Solomon said, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. How you think is who you are. May we be those who are devoted to thinking biblically day in and day out for the glory of Christ, for the good of our own souls and for the good of God's people. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this psalm. Thank you for the example that we find in the life of David. Father, you're so gracious to give us an example like David who wasn't perfect but who still communicates to us this truth and Father, then to remind us of the truth of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is perfect in all of these things and that his perfection has been credited to us and that the Spirit of God now resides in us because of his work on the cross. Lord, we're so thankful for that truth. We're thankful for this study. May we be committed to these convictions that we see clearly in this text. Help us to fight to think biblically. For your glory, for our good. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.